Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilley and Rihanna Patrick with you. Yeah, in today's episode, the downfall of one of the world's most famous crypto cowboys. FTX was one of the world's biggest crypto exchanges allowing people to sell digital assets like Bitcoin. FTX did not keep appropriate books and records. One of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges collapses. The biggest story in global finance right now. Bankman Fried and his girlfriend had siphoned off about $10 billion out of FTX. It's one of the worst scandals in the history of the crypto industry. The downfall of Sam Bankman Fried has attracted so much attention We'll find out why and what it means for the future of cryptocurrencies. They were basically wildcat banks, all of them, and they all collapsed when the market went down. The reputational damage from that, I think, is going to be lasting. That's our briefing in the second half of the episode. First, today's headlines. It is Friday, the 25th of November. Indigenous artist Baker Boy has dominated the Arias with five wins. He was also the first Indigenous artist in the 35-year history of the awards to take out Aria's top prize, the album of the year, for his release, Gela, leaving him speechless. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. Oh, my heart. Oh, isn't that beautiful? What a legend. Uh, love it. So he's from northeast Arnhem Land, and that part of the world has produced some amazing artists, visual artists, but musicians. King Stingray. Won an aria last night as well. They did breakthrough artist of the year. And that's the home of Yotha Yindi and Gurumul. It's yeah, they just punch above their weight, but also an area that listens to so much diverse, like world music. Mm. And you can hear it in the influences. But I mean, Geller's a great album. Mm. He's so good. Um, this was the first actual in-person ARIA ceremony since before the pandemic, 2019. So that's good. There's been a bit of criticism over the broadcast, but, you know, it's more about being there, really. Yeah. We went once with client liaison. We pulled a stunt on the red carpet where we pretended that our limo broke down on the red carpet. That was a good time. Yeah, I have no ARIA stories, uh, Tom, <laughs> apart from reporting on it. <laughs> well, Tones and I won Song of the Year for her track, Cloudy Day, admitting the industry's had a tough time thanks to COVID. It's been a bit of a while since we've all come together to celebrate the ARIA Awards. Um, it's pretty cool to see the future of Australian music representing the night. Yeah, and the Wiggles bagged a Best Children's Album gong for their re-Wiggled album. And Best Live Act, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which no one can argue with, can they? No, they can't. And Victorians go to the polls tomorrow with Premier Daniel Andrews seeking a third term after almost eight years in the top job. My message to all Victorian voters is that if you want a bigger economy, not a smaller economy because of Liberal cuts, closures and cancellations, vote Labor. Yeah, exit polling by bipartisan Redbridge Group suggests that Andrews may lose his own seat. Wow. Yeah, which would be a very surprising result, but let's see how accurate mm. that polling is. Uh, and the polling published in the Herald Sun yesterday also predicted that Labor will fall two seats short of the 45 that's needed to form a majority government on its own. So, yeah, we could be looking at a minority government in Victoria where Labor rely on the crossbenchers to pass legislation. There was an interesting idea from the opposition leader announced yesterday, Matthew Guy, lowering the driving age from 18 to 17. We're going to bring forward heat plate driving and lower the age from 18 to 17. So that would bring it into line with some of the other states, which I guess is good if you're a 17-year-old Victorian looking at people in New South Wales, for example, going, how come they get to drive a year earlier? 
But the research shows it would mean more accidents and deaths. So not a yeah. good thing. Yeah, it's it's an interesting announcement to kind of make. You think that'll be the one to get him over the line, to get push Labor into minority government? Um, considering that maybe 17-year-olds still can't vote yet, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe not. not. <laughs> and a new book details the fallout between the Treasurer, former Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, and the former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, over that wild multiple secret ministries controversy. Yeah, there's a book about to come out called Bulldoze by journalist Nikki Sava and Frydenberg says, I don't think there's any reason for Scott to take on the additional treasury portfolio. The fact he did take it and it was not made transparent to me and others was wrong and profoundly disappointing. It was extreme overreach. Yeah, so Nikki Sava is a very reputable journalist. Um, this will be a groundbreaking book not her first. So it's really interesting to hear what Frydenberg thinks about this because he was probably the most done over by what Scott Morrison did. He didn't know about this and he'd been urged to challenge him for the leadership, but he hadn't out of loyalty. And he ended up losing his own seat in the election, Josh Frydenberg. So the sting was pretty real for him. Um, There's also been an inquiry into Morrison's self-appointment to the multiple ministries that's going to be handed to the Prime Minister today. No word on that when that will be made public, but I I reckon Anthony Albanese will be pretty keen to release that to the public. I think the public will be pretty keen to read about it. I think so. After 17 years of hosting a current affair, Tracy Grimshaw has bid farewell. Thank you for your company. Good night. Yeah, so she took over the show from Ray Martin in 2006, so she's had a massive run. She's incredibly popular She steps away at a real high. I think some of her recent achievements have been her massive political interviews where people um, really stood and noticed when she especially interviewed Scott Morrison that she is an incredible interviewer. Yeah, and she's not afraid to go hard, is she? On a program which is not really known for hard-hitting interviews, but that's what she has brought to the plate, really. Well, she's known for going hard on dodgy mechanics. True. But not so much dodgy prime ministers. <laughs> but it has to be said she did win a Walkley in 2009 yeah. for her interviewing. Yeah. So she's great at her job. She steps away. She's loved. We don't know who's going to replace her yet. So there's a lot of speculation about what's going on at nine. There's a lot going on in the media at the moment, isn't there? There is. But I think the vibe of this show is going to change quite a bit. You know, mm. I'm so used to seeing Tracy that I'm not sure what that's going to be like when there's mm. someone else in the chair. Totally. And Sydney's iconic Bondi Beach will look a little different tomorrow. A nude photo shoot is happening in the wee hours of Saturday morning with as many as 2,500 expected to take part. Will you be there, Tom? <laughs> Probably be sleeping in, but um, it does sound fun. Spencer Tunick is um, the photographer. He's world famous. Um, he said the event coincides with National Skin Cancer Awareness Week. He should do that with all his events because they're all pretty much about um, massive group nudes. And, of course, he's telling everyone that it'll be very liberating. It's all about owning this moment, uh, owning your body. Uh, Government can't control your body. It's also about our longevity. Wow, was that a subtle, like, anti-vaccine mandate kind of message there? No idea. But, I mean, people do turn out. He had nearly 5,500 outside the Opera House. Remember that Opera House shoot? yeah, yeah. It's almost like a bucket list thing, isn't it, to be involved in a Spencer Tunic moment? Yeah. Would you, I, would you do it? I get it. I'm if you no, came to Ipswich, no, no. would you and your frog? No. 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 
No. There's a thing <laughs> called social media, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Which lasts forever. Uh-huh. Who knows what sort of the Zooming technology could do in the future. That's right. All right, in a moment, we're talking about the the crypto industry and this hugely dramatic collapse of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. If you're not into crypto, then you might be wondering what the fuss is all about with the downfall of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange set up by Sam Bankman-Fried. Are you into crypto? No. No. Me neither. Not really. Um, But this story, this character has been getting a lot, lot of attention. Uh, That's because his exchange went bankrupt on November 11. So at his height or the height of his wealth, he was reportedly worth over $30 billion. Just 30 years old. Now he's reportedly worth nothing and facing criminal investigations. Here he is doing an interview from his home in the Bahamas just two months ago, talking about bailing other failing crypto businesses out. It's not going to be good for anyone long term if we have real pain, if we have real blowouts. And it's not fair to customers and it's not going to be good for regulation. It's not going to be good for anything. So who is this guy, this 30-year-old crypto cowboy? How did it all go pear-shaped and why does it matter? Paul Vigner is a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. He's written a book called The Age of Cryptocurrency. And he's actually spoken to Sam Bankman-Fried in his past reporting. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing again. So why is the collapse of FTX and the story of Sam Bankman-Fried such a big deal? You know, FTX was a pretty big company, but most of its users were really very sort of professional traders or real sort of crypto diehards. FTX was smaller. But FTX... For some reason, and I think some of this is going to end up being just tied into the the sort of, it's almost like a cult of personality Mm. around some of these people, and I think Sam was one of them. It's resonating, I think, largely for that reason and for the billions of dollars that are involved in it. So this story has really sort of captured people's attention. Not that it's a great story, it's a bad story. But as far as bad stories go, it is a story that that really seems to resonate with people. So, Paul, who is Sam Bankman-Fried, for those who don't know, and why is he controversial? So Sam is a 30-year-old American who had been living, I think he still is there right now, actually, in, in the Bahamas, where he had set up FTX's offices. He started the exchange about five years ago. He got a degree from MIT. He was kind of a, you know, he was a computer-minded person, had done some time in finance, so he was also a finance-minded person. Started trading cryptocurrencies, opened up a trading desk called Alameda Research, and then built an exchange called FTX. And it grew rapidly. Within a couple of years, it was a large company. It was one of the, the top five exchanges Billions of dollars were passing through it. Nobody yet knows exactly how much money they really had or they really uh, were sitting on top of. Sam is, if you see a picture of Sam, he, he's a character. You know, he's, he's got a very sort of round face. He's got this crazy mop top of black curly hair. You know, he just, he really physically kind of gets your attention where, where some people don't. 
he really had a way of grabbing people, people who were sophisticated, people who were in Silicon Valley, people who were investors, people who are used to being responsible for millions and billions of dollars and convincing them that he was the future of crypto, he had the vision, and they should be working with him. Was he just selling his personality? Was was it all about his charisma? Or did he develop some really profitable or, or at least profitable for a time products or services? FTX was a real exchange. They had real customers. The bankruptcy courts and the lawyers that are in charge of this bankruptcy, they are going to have to figure out exactly how much money was really going through there. Because the answer right now is that we don't actually know. We don't actually know just how profitable the company really was. The attorneys in the bankruptcy case, they, they had the first hearing on Tuesday, and the attorneys said that the, the company just had appallingly bad business controls, that they can't really trust anything that any of the books, any of the records, a lot of it was incomplete. A lot of it is haphazard. That alone is almost sort of a a stunning aspect of this story, how large this company got and how poorly managed it was. So then, Paul, I mean, how do we get to where we are now of how did FTX come tumbling down and how did it all fall apart? The last year for Bitcoin in the crypto market has been very bad. But the two years before that were exceedingly great. Bitcoin had a lot of up years. A lot of people came into it. A lot of money flowed into it. And a lot of that, much like in the stock market as well, a lot of that was because you had central banks pumping liquidity into financial markets, making lending very cheap, making lending basically free. And FTX benefited from that tremendously. It came tumbling down because the company was extremely leveraged. They had loans outstanding. They had liabilities that looked controllable when Bitcoin was trading at, say, $70,000. But when the value of their assets, denominated in cryptocurrencies, collapsed, their assets collapsed, their liabilities remained, and the company just almost overnight, really, just folded under that. So what's been the broader effect of the FTX collapse beyond Sam Bankman-Fried's various companies, how much has it spread? Because if you look at the price of Bitcoin itself, which I guess is essentially a proxy measure for, for the crypto space, it actually hasn't come off that much compared to some of the massive falls that have happened over the last year. We are still trying to figure out what other companies will be affected by this, who FTX's counterparties were. So there will be other companies involved What is this going to mean for the industry? What is this going to mean for cryptocurrencies? Are they all going to disappear? Probably not. But I think what you're going to see are, generally speaking, you can look at the effects of this on two lines. One is going to be the reputational damage to the crypto market, which I think is going to be severe and it is going to be lasting. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, FTX is not the only company, only crypto company that has collapsed this year. There have been a number of them. And in every single one of them, what you saw were companies that were just poorly run, Mm. had very bad business practices, terrible risk management. They, They were basically wildcat banks, all of them. And they all collapsed when the market went down. The reputational damage from that, I think, is going to be lasting. That's because it's was getting to a point last year on the up where a lot of 
serious institutions were starting to take it really seriously. And they were essentially doing that, not so much because this was a tradable unit that was actually being used in the real world. I think they were just getting involved because they couldn't stand back and watch everyone else making all this money. So finally they had to say, look, this is a legitimate asset class. We need to be a part of this. But now as you see on the way down, there's this contagion effect where you've got these exchanges like FTX that were so leveraged on the price of these assets that as soon as the value comes down, they start to fall apart. Then other exchanges fall apart and the credibility of the whole market and all the institutions and platforms that have been built around it come tumbling down. It's sadly ironic that that some of what you're seeing is what you have seen in every other financial mania and crash basically for the last 300 years. Mm. Somebody comes along with a, a system, a scheme, a proposition, a plan that looks foolproof, that looks like it is just an insane moneymaker, that looks like if you, uh, you're crazy if you don't get in, to, to your point, mm. Tom. You're crazy if you don't get in on this. You have to get in on this. And usually they are exposed at some point. It's happened every single time. The whole point of Bitcoin in the beginning was to come up with a way around those systems. It was supposed to eliminate the middleman. And paradoxically, what grew up were just a lot of middlemen and people trusted them. And that trust has proven to have been misplaced. So you started out by saying that this story is important because of a confluence of a few factors, including the personality of Sam Bankman-Fried. What's going to happen to him? He's apparently had to put the house in the Bahamas on the market. Um, He'll no longer have the billions of dollars to donate to the Democrats, which is also what made him interesting to a lot of people. Where does his story go? The real sort of bottom line about it is that he's a 30-year-old priest. He's he's basically still a kid. He's got a long time to live with this. He was at one point, he was worth, I think it was 15 or 16 billion. He was on the Forbes list. He was one of the richest people in the world. And and that has its own attraction to people. Part of his story was just that, that he had gotten fantastically rich. He is no longer fantastically rich. He is being investigated. He, He could end up with criminal liability. I don't know yet. Nobody knows yet. So there are several paths for him. But I don't think this is something he is ever going to live down. Well, I mean, is this, do you think, the largest crypto bankruptcy ever filed? And I mean, what do you think this means for the future of crypto? Can it and will it ever make a comeback? I don't think crypto is going to disappear. The most lasting thing is that the technology behind what makes cryptocurrencies work, I don't think is going away. It will change, it will be adapted, it will be used for different purposes. I think what the FTX story will probably mark is the end of this first sort of insane growth chapter of cryptocurrencies and the technology itself. I think what we have seen in the last basically 14 years, that part is over. What is going to change now is going to be how the technology is adapted, how it is used in different cases and instances. I do think that there's a future for the technology within the financial system. I think you're going to see more of that. 
I do think there is a future for the technology on the in, within the internet, online, mm. within the metaverse. Uh, I think you will see it adopted into that and used more in that, but it's going to look different. But I do think the technology itself is going to be something that will have a future. So that was Paul Wigner from the Wall Street Journal. And what I'm sensing from all of that, Rihanna, is that most of the froth, the financial speculation on cryptocurrencies, people trying to make money, all of that's boiling off. And what we're boiling down to is a price that more closely reflects the real functional value of the technology used in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing for me as someone who doesn't really understand cryptocurrency. I've heard a lot and seen a lot of people talk about blockchain and what that could offer Um, and and particularly seeing, I guess, recently Indigenous artists using that blockchain technology in selling their art in the digital marketplace, which is worth billions of dollars. If we're talking more about technical blockchain functionality, we're talking about a real thing, not just people guessing what the price of something might be in the future and taking a punt on that. So... I think that's a better place to be, a healthier place to be. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. But tomorrow, something special will drop into your feed. It's called The Weekend Briefing. Jamila, who's on this week? I have a really interesting guest this weekend. I sat down with Angela White, who is probably one of the biggest adult entertainers in the world. She's an Australian who lives in LA. She's in the country for Sexpo. And we sat down for the most wide-ranging and complex conversation I have had in a really long time. We talked about why it is that adult performers and sex workers are still reduced to cliches. We talked about the fact that women in porn are often identified as sort of helpless victims or sex crazy strange people who've been pressured into doing what they are. And she claims a different sort of label, a label that is just her own, that is just her name. One of the really interesting things about Angela is that she does perform under her own name. She loves what she does and she's proud of what she does. And I learned so much about an industry that I wasn't super familiar with by chatting with her. And we talked about everything from porn to politics and all the things that are in between. All right, that's your weekend briefing. Thank you, Jamila. Bring home strong into the end of the year from the treasurer recently to a porn star tomorrow. So get around that conversation. Um, A big thank you to the briefing team, executive producer Dan Mullins, news producers Eleanor Harrison Dengate and Brooke Lowther and Brooke Um, All the best uh, with uh, your impending birth and thank you for your work. Um, Socials producer Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi and Matt Kuzkari, our editor. Have a great weekend. Listener.